Thank you, uh, thank you all for coming. I think this was a unique opportunity for us to join the Ripon Society and um, have kind of a frank and, and nice conversation uh, a little bit uh, off the normal topic of policy and maybe on our personal thoughts on what's happened uh, with regard to the first year on the personal side. Before we get started, maybe I can introduce everybody and I'll maybe go and, uh, well, I'm gonna go in the order in which my list uh, has you guys all set. <laughs> To my right, uh, hailing from the great state of Illinois, uh, Bob Dole uh, ran in uh, the 2010th district, the 10th district of Illinois, um, ran in 2010, freshman, a former small business owner, family business, uh, still, a family. still a small family business, um, uh, took it over, ran it well, sold the trials and tribulations of a small business owner uh, trying to make it with all the rules and regulations in pest control. Uh, he thought he could take a skill in pest control and take it out here to Washington and deal with more pest control here. Um, he worked uh, for a small stint in the investigative, uh, as an investigative counsel for the House Government Reform and Oversight uh, Committee out here in DC. Uh, went back, ran a great race, uh, won. He's married to Danielle and their three children. I've met them and they take after his wife. So happy for that. But Bob Dole, thank you for being here. Uh, and then we usually introduce our women first, but here I guess we do it second. Uh, Sandy Adams uh, from the 24th District of Florida. Uh, she graduated and went into the U.S. Air Force, served for 17 years. Quit school. At 17. She quit school at the age of 17, joined the Air Force, and served for how long? Not long enough. She realized that she wanted to get her GED, go into law enforcement, where she served as a deputy for the is it Orange County, Orange County uh, Sheriff's Department. Uh, served there in 2002. Ran for the state house. Won. Uh, served honorably. Ran in 2010 for Congress. Ran a great race. Won by 20 points, right? Yeah. 20 some points, and uh, has joined our freshman class. So welcome, Sandy. Thank you. Uh, and now, Lee Ribble, also from uh, the great state of Wisconsin, the 8th Congressional District. I have the northwest quarter of the state. He has the northeast quarter, uh, also famous for uh, our Green Bay Packers uh, in Reed's district. Uh, Reed is uh, also a small business owner, uh, started uh, with his uh, family's roofing company, uh, got involved and took the business from a, maybe a smaller regional operation and has uh, grown it into an operation that has done roofs all over the world, right? Uh, Reed likes to tell me that he's a million mile flyer um, before he came to Congress, so he's been all over. Uh, also, Reed serves on uh, the Budget, Agriculture, and Transportation Committee. And you may not uh, know this but uh, because of his size, uh, but Reed is a volleyball coach. Um, so you don't have to be tall to be in volleyball. <laughs> And now we're going to go to the biggest member of the house conference. Uh, the mic back. I want to see the log roller on <laughs> You guys all know John Runyon, uh, one of our uh, more famous members of the freshman class of 2010. Uh, 14 years in the NFL. I'm getting these numbers off right off the top of my head. Played for the Philadelphia Eagles for a majority of that time. Uh, pro bowler, um, went to the University of Michigan, played there as well, uh, and brought the great competitive spirit that he had in the NFL to Congress, uh, and he has increased the height and the weight of our conference 
substantially, so I appreciate that. If, uh, if you guys don't mind, what we're going to do is uh, maybe just pass the mic around and share some of our thoughts on what's happened in our freshman year, maybe policy, but personal, if you don't mind, and then we'll open up for questions, uh, if that's okay with all of you. And uh, because I have the mic, I'm going to start. And if you guys could quickly just maybe talk about Wisconsin. Uh, you guys might know that we have some political action going on there. Uh, the recall election for Scott Walker is going to be uh, this coming Tuesday. And uh, you've probably seen some of the recent polling that's come out. We've seen polls anywhere from Walker being up by four to being up by ten. Uh, it feels very good. Uh, if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, it doesn't feel very good. But uh, what, what I'll just say this is, I'm in central Wisconsin, um, in the center part of the state, and it's a, it's a swing area of our state. It can go both ways, those counties can. And what we're seeing is, as you drive around, there are I stand with Walker signs in places you have never seen a political sign, in yards that have never put a political sign, they're putting Scott Walker signs. Um, there's a lot of energy uh, to, I think, come out and, and vote and stand with Scott Walker, who a lot of people feel that he stood with them um, and the taxpayers of Wisconsin. We actually see small business owners putting four by eight signs in front of their businesses or putting the I stand with Walker yard sign in their windows. And if you're a small business owner, you know that's not very good for business because you're gonna make half the population mad. But they are really coming out in force standing with Walker and um, I think it's, it's going to be uh, the first big battle of 2010. And it'll tell us, are the voters gonna reward uh, politicians or people in government who go big and try to solve problems uh, that need resolving? Or are they going to reward people who are hand bringers and, and don't want to go bold and, and want to kick the can down the road? I think Wisconsin is going to reward bold action and, and support Governor Walker, who has taken a $3 billion budget deficit and turned it into a surplus uh, in a little over a year without raising taxes and not laying people off. Um, so that's my, and we can follow up on that too if you want. Quickly, I would just tell you, um, and I'm going to run short of time. Do you want to hug the mic? I would tell you my biggest frustration is. Uh, I thought that with the problems that we face as a country and the issues that came up in 2010 that we would have the White House and the Senate come over and uh, try to deal with uh, the rules and the regulations. thought they'd come over and try to help us deal with this massive uh, deficit and ex ex expanding deficits. And to, I think, our surprise as a freshman class, there wasn't a willingness to deal with these big problems. We looked at Bill Clinton and Bill had come to the center um, after uh, 94, we thought the same would happen here, and I, I think the president has stayed uh, in his current track or gone further to the left, and I think that's, that's been a frustration for me, because I don't think time is on our side to deal with these issues that we face, um, and they're, they're substantial. <coughs> on a personal level, I'll tell you that uh, I have six kids, and I think we'd all tell you that this job takes up a lot of your time, and uh, to try to balance the hard work of, of being out here and then being in some fairly decent-sized districts and then trying to be a good uh, spouse and a good parent is a real challenge that uh, you, 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 we always, I, I guess I'm always trying to balance that and, and make sure I uh, don't have my kids wanting to you know, take it out of me one night when I come home. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a real balancing act. Um, and you want to work hard for people that sent you here. People work hard in their own lives and they expect their representative to work just as hard or harder. And uh, so it can be a real challenge to have that balancing act. And so with that, um, I'm going to pass it to the uh, ever-awesome uh, representative from Florida, uh, Sanya.
keep on a short leash. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you for having us this morning. And I, too, was a little disappointed in the way the Senate and this administration has reacted to not only our election in 2010, but all the problems that we're facing as a nation. Here we have some of the most mounting debt and deficits our country has ever known. We have real issues facing real people. We have small businesses in our districts being just crushed by regulations. When you look at how much, and I think it was in 2010, they came out with a number of $17.5 trillion of regulation costs. Regulation costs. You know, that could equate to 17.5 million people getting a job for $100,000. But yet, instead of that, we're paying it, you're paying it, on regulatory costs. So, I'm, I'm an unusual person in law in uh, Congress, I guess, because at 17 I dropped out of high school and joined the Air Force. Married, very young, was an abusive marriage, so I left that marriage and I uh, later, as a single parent, looked for a way to provide for my daughter. So I became a law enforcement officer, which meant I had to get my GED, and I had to go back to school. So I worked during the day, and I put myself through the academy at night. So I recognized what it means to try to put food on the table, pay the bills, and raise your children. Later on, when I remarried, I lost a husband in the line of death. He was a police officer, and he actually died in my zone. He's here on the wall in Judiciary Square. That's what propelled me into politics. I didn't get in it to be elected. I got in it because I cared. I cared about what was happening to our local community and within our state. And as I was leaving the state legislature, I watched as many other Americans watched. Lots of legislation being pushed through Congress, not even being read for the most part. Americans standing up and saying, hold on, slow down, we need to work these through. And instead, a Congress that just railroaded things through. So I ran for office in 2010. We have a lot to accomplish to get our country back on the right track, which means it needs to become a more efficient, more leaner government, which means it needs to get smaller, and businesses need to begin uh, able to grow. And that's why I'm here, and that's why I run every time I, I have run. It's because of a passion for what I believe in, what I believe a lot of us believe in, and that's the American dream. So I'm happy to be here with my colleagues. If you look at almost every one of us that came in together, we came here with the same message from our constituents. Get out there and fix it. Turn it into what it has been in the past, a government for the people, by the people, and of the people. And let's get back on track. And so we've had an interesting year. We have a Senate that doesn't seem to want to work with us. We have regulations strangling all our businesses. And an administration who's not holding their agencies accountable. And that's what I see as our biggest challenge as we move forward. So I appreciate the time that you give us here today. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Reed Ribble, and uh, I, the topic of today's uh, session, I guess, is lessons learned. 
questions. I thought maybe I would take just a few minutes that they've given me to tell you some of the things that I've learned. I've never uh, served in any political uh, or official capacity, elected capacity whatsoever in my, in my life. I wasn't elected class president of high school or anything. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'm just a concerned citizen that decided that, that no, I never ran. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Sean. <laughs> But, but I'll tell you, there, there are some things I've learned since I came here. And uh, coming out of the business world, it's a, it's a fascinating dichotomy of the difference in how you view the world through the political prism versus through the business prism. Um, the lens that you see life is completely different here. And things that seem normal, things that seem that just, well, this just makes sense, you just do this, can't happen within the system because the system itself won't allow it. And there are other members of Congress, former members of Congress in the room, and I'm sure they'll be able to associate themselves with some of the comments I'll make. And I'll, I'll tell you, the first, the first challenge I noticed right out, of the, right out of the box, and I'm so glad that Sean mentioned it, is the challenge of family. Um, you're away from your family a lot, and that's just part of the deal. And um, uh, I, 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 I admire someone like Sean, she has six kids at home, and, and I, would, I would dare say to you, Sean, your concern is not what your kids think about you today, but your concern is what your kids think about you when they're 30. That's, that's the real challenge. And, and so protect that. And trying to protect the relationship with your spouse. I'm fortunate because I, I came here at the end of my uh, adult career. I've had my career, I've worked in the roofing business for 35 years. So I was in a place where my wife could travel with me. And she's with me in Washington, D.C. most of the time. She does go to Nashville and visit our grandchildren once a month. And so I'm able, I'm able to have her here. And I can't even imagine what, what life would be like, and I know you all can, because you're in a different place, to be separated from your, from your spouse, to be separated from your children. Uh, the job is stressful enough that without that, it would be uh, almost unbearable for me personally. And so it's, it's a big challenge for our members of Congress. And uh, I, I didn't expect that, to be honest with you, and, uh, but I discovered it right, up, right away. It was probably the first thing that I noticed. The second thing that I noticed is that Congress doesn't work very well. And, 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 you know, um, I thought you could come here and have a reasonable, thoughtful conversation with colleagues and you find some common ground and move things forward. I mean, why fight about the things we disagree on? You're not going to get agreement on the things you disagree on. Why not just admit that? And instead, look for the things that we do agree on and do that. That just makes so much sense, but even that's difficult. Because if you do that, then that means someone's going to have some political win and victory that they can claim later. And while we can't let anybody have a political victory, or claim, God help the American people if someone actually does something for them. And and so it's a, it's a uniquely frustrating environment. And, and the system itself is so messed up. Um, com coming out of, out of my life in the, in the business world where everything is driven toward efficiency and trying to squeeze every last dollar out to make it the most effective and efficient expense you possibly can. Uh, does anybody here know how many congressional committees Janet Napolitano has to report to? There's 108. There's 108. And, and, and it's all this business. You know, let, let's make sure members of Congress can't get in the way, so let's get them busy on all this stuff that, nothing, that really doesn't matter much. And so they create all these committees and then subcommittees and subcommittees after that to keep you busy to, so that you can go home and say, well, I did this and I'm on this committee and I'm on that committee and nothing gets done. The place needs to be reformed. And it will only be reformed if, if, if the people of the United States, the sovereign leaders of this place, which are you all, not us, 
stand up and say, we're going to change the 535 people that run this train wreck. And, and we're going to demand that they fix it. And we're not going to settle with it not being fixed. And that's what it's going to take to fix it, to make this place work on behalf of the American people for finally the way the founders intended it to work in a limited fashion, returning power to the state where government closest to the people is best for the people. And, and to the degree that I can influence that change, that's where I'm focusing my attention. Now, I'll, I'll have my assignments on transportation and budget and all those things. I'll do the work as hard as I can with as much passion as possible to get the best result. But after that, and while I'm doing that, I will work as hard as I can to reform this place and make it work for the American people. Thanks for having me. Well, I certainly, as a small business owner, want to associate uh, and certainly came to commiserate with Reed with regard to needing a budget and a payroll and coming to Washington, D.C. and dealing with people that have no clue about how to create jobs. Uh, it's fascinating to me when you come in and you talk to people that believe that Washington actually creates jobs. Washington doesn't create jobs. But what Washington can do is create an environment that enables the private sector to create jobs, create that certainty. We find today that there's so much uncertainty out there, it's, it's incredible. Uh, on the lessons learned, um, I did work in Washington before. And so, um, Congressman Morales, was, I was actually a staffer when, uh, when she was serving. And so certainly it's great to see you. And I see some old friends from the committee days. So it's great to be here. Uh, I can tell you that uh, it's okay if you're not good with names in Washington, because all you have to do is just remember Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, nice to see you. chances are probably pretty good there's going to be a chairman or sub-chairman or, or vice chairman or somebody that wants to be a chairman next time. So you're certainly not going to offend anybody by calling Mr. Chairman. So uh, I can tell you that uh, you know there, there's certain things in Washington that are a little bit different than, than back at home. I do think, though, if we take a look at what's happened over the last year and a half, and it, and it is, it's the honor of my life to be able to come to Washington, D.C., and to be able to represent people um, that I think is, is so fortunate. We've got a real gift to be able to do that. And we've been able to take the dynamic in Washington and change it from how much more are we going to spend to how much more can we cut. And if you think about that, that's a pretty significant shift in the way Washington is at least is thinking today. But I also will, and I'm sure others are all agree, it's broken. Right? This is not operating like we operate a small business. So for me, I employ 100 people. It's 100 families. We've got a problem at the business. I gather the people around the table, the managers, and say, what's the problem that we face? More importantly, what's the solution to the problem? I'm asking them if they're Republican. Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? You know, that question never comes up. What I do want to know is what's the solution to the problem? So when we came in here to Washington, yes, we came in here wanting to solve the problem with one vote. We wanted to solve the problem immediately. Obviously, you can't do that. But what's frustrating to me is we're going to pass bipartisan legislation. Sean and I said on financial services, we passed stuff on the Financial Services Committee, like access to capital for job creators. It passed the House with over 400 votes wildly bipartisan pieces of legislation that go over to Harry Reid and literally sit. Now, frankly, the problem is, is that when we talk about a do-nothing Congress, we think about the House of Representatives. Nobody thinks about the United States Senate. And frankly, that is what is so very, very frustrating. Listen, the Senate, if you don't like the legislation, 
debate it, amend it, change it to think it's what, what it should be, and then send it back. They don't want to do any of that. And really what it boils down to is a true lack of leadership here in Washington, D.C. There is a leadership deficit that needs to be filled, and frankly, that is one of the lessons learned. Okay, we have people here that are some truly gifted people, but we do. We need leadership. And frankly, we've not seen leadership out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, which frankly I think is truly disheartening, because you and I both know that when we get stuff accomplished, the president can or if he chooses to, can take the win for anything that he signs into law. I don't really care who takes credit for it, but I do believe that the American public is extraordinarily frustrated because they don't think Washington's working. The sentiment that I that I see back in my district is, you know, 2008 was, hey, let's, let's get the Republicans out. 2010, let's get the Democrats out. I think 2012, the sentiment is get them all out. Right? We're just frustrated because we don't think the government's working for us. This is about what direction we take our country. Because literally, if you look at it, the way that we're spending resources, it's unsustainable. So now is the time. Sean talked about it, Reed talked about it. It's not a convenient time to run for Congress. I've got a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, soon to be 5-year-old. I have a saint for a wife because she's the one that makes the trains run on time, have them have a sense of normalcy at home. But the reason why we're here is not because, boy, isn't it great. The reason why we're here is because this is our opportunity to put ourselves on the right course. This is the time. So if we can start steering ourselves on the right course, I don't care who takes credit for it because the president's smart. He's going to take credit for anything positive that happens. Anything negative that happens, he's going to point it right to the five of us and our colleagues, guaranteed. And it's generally going to be the freshmen. Right? You hear that often. It's all the freshmen that are the problem. I think that what we've got to be doing is focusing in on what are the areas of agreement, right? So my good friend Dan Mull, who I've worked with in the past, we can find areas we disagree on. But you know what? The only way that we're going to move things forward for the American public is to talk about the areas of agreement. So if the president wants to talk about doubling exports by 2014, we agree. Let's move forward on that. We passed the trade agreements. We're going to add $10 billion to our GDP with South Korea alone. These are the types of things that we need to continue to focus on. We need to talk about financial services and access to capital, not having a one-size-fits-all mentality for the financial services sector with Dodd-Frank. So these are some of the things that I think are absolutely critical for us going forward. Uh, and it's truly an honor to be able to be up here with people that I think are, are here for the right reasons. Uh, I do have good friends on the other side of the aisle that I think are here for the right reasons as well. I do find it interesting that they get tugged by some leadership that they won't allow it, you know, them to have free reign to do the things that they think are right. That's also a lesson learned that you know everything gets put through the political dynamic, which we knew, but we didn't realize kind of how, how tightly uh, they're being held. Uh, the other thing was a lesson learned. I didn't know that John Runyon was voted five years in a row the dirtiest player in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that. You know, that's why I always went on my side. <laughs> I could have sat over there. I sat right here. <laughs> Uh, you know, this, is, this, is a, this, is a, this is a great time because I do think that the opportunities in front of us uh, are significant. I think we've got, you know, we've got an uphill battle, but I think that the American public, the more that they start to learn about where we sit financially, everybody realizes that our debt at $15.7 trillion isn't going away. Um, but I think that the only way that we're getting out of this mess is to try to work together in some way, shape, or form. We have to have a budget. 
you imagine running your business without a budget? Running your division without a budget? Now, I'm trying to take the biggest organization in the world in the United States government and say, we don't have a budget. We don't know where we're supposed to put our resources or where we're supposed to focus our time, effort, and energy. So I've talked long enough. I'm going to turn over to Big John Runyon, who is my good friend. My good friend. <laughs> Well, again, my name is uh, John Runyon. Um, I, I agree with a lot of the policy stuff. Most everything policy-wise, my colleagues have uh, spoken about. And I'm not really going to talk about the policy aspect because I think we all get it. I want to do something, a little hint that I took from uh, the son of, a, I think, one of our great leaders who was a former NFL player. I got it from Jimmy Kemp, actually Jack Kemp's son. He said what his father could do and telling stories was what made him great. And be able to relate that to people and connect with people and lead people. And as, as we sit up here and, and talk about our personal issues we've had, I had a great line. I, I've changed it in the last few months. Like, what, what is the most challenging thing you've ever had? I was actually walking the halls of Congress because a knee injury put me out of the NFL. I'm not since conquered that one, not seeing how I've lost 50 pounds. So we're, we're moving on to the next one. What is the, what is the one thing that really threw you off? And I've said it to a few people here today. And this is the unfortunate part about where we're at as a country, on how dysfunctional and how much like high school this place is. Where are the adults in the room? I think we have a group of them sitting right here. But we need you as the American people to give us people in the next week that we can mold and work with that get it, that are going to be the adults to step forward and lead this country. So, because right now, it, it, it's just not working. I can tell you as, uh, Bob tries to say I was the dirtiest player in the NFL, I don't think I ever hit one on the list. Heinz Ward always beat me up. <laughs> I was always right there. <laughs> Those of you that have ever known me, that is, that is that competitive switch that you flip on and off every single day. I am nothing like that in my personal life. I don't carry myself like that. That is just one of those six things, sick things you have to do to compete at a level like that. But I want to touch on that because I think that's kind of where we're at as a party and how we take the hits. I can go back to that kind of stuff. I can remember throughout my career of going out knowing the rules of the game, what was legal and what wasn't. And playing right there at that threshold. And frankly, the people that supported me, rewarded me for it. The people that didn't like me, threw me under the bus all the time. That's why I was on that list. That's why I had Commissioner Paul Tagliabu sending me those fine slips every month. <laughs> you know, after a while, that got to a point where it was a uh, Financially, it was hurting. And, you know, you had to change the rules, but you're fine. What does that sound like? A lot of these agencies, a lot of the regulation we live with in this country. Now, there was a point, there was a point where I got threatened by the commissioner of the NFL. I can remember the game. We were out in San Francisco. I went over a pile that was one of the cleanest most awesome hits I've ever had. <laughs> Jumped over the running back, 
laid out a linebacker. I think the first thing that hit the ground was the back of his head. And it was two yards from the sideline with the side judge standing right there. And I got up and looked at him. He didn't throw a flag. He just started shaking his head and he goes, you got that guy. Well, I show up to work on uh, Wednesday morning and I have a $12,000 fine in my locker. And the threat that I'm, uh, the next one you'll be called to New York and you'll have to sit down with the commissioner and we're going to talk about a four-game suspension. Now you're talking about affecting my ability to, uh, to take care of my family. That's the regulatory environment we live in. It's not against the rules, but you're afraid to go out and take those chances that you have a specific skill set that you're able to go out and make your living doing, but you don't know who the next guy is going to try to find you, throw you under the bus, and take your livelihood away from you. And I think you know, many, many business people in, the, in this country feel that way. I think the one people, one thing people miss about my, uh, my past, yeah, I played in the NFL for 14 years. I also owned a small business. The problem was my small business was 3,000 miles away on the other end of the country while I was conducting myself playing football. I actually owned an arena for two football franchises in San Diego. And dealing with that and knowing the personality of a lot of uh, professional athletes and how much like high school that world is, and the challenges that came, I, I, I got into it for about three years, learned my lessons and realized that there's a lot of growing up that I had to do personally to be able to lead. Frankly, in that case, it was men like that, and to truly being great men. And I think that's one of the uh, one of the things I pulled from <coughs> sports, specifically high school and college sports. And I'll speak selfishly from being a male. I know what, what, the way I was taught: is be a man first, stand up for what you believe in work your tail off, and everything else will come to you. Don't worry about what I have coming to me, what someone's going to, you know, somebody's going to take care of me. That was never in my, in my, in my um, frame of mind. I can tell you, because also, I grew up in an area, and I have several Michiganders over here. I grew up in an area in Flint, Michigan. My father's a UAW water worker. There were times in my life I know two years my father was unemployed in the mid-80s. Built his first home, loses his job for two years. How's he going to make the mortgage payment? Four, five, six part-time jobs. Never saw him. No. 14, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Did everything he can to provide for his family. And I think that's all as, as Americans that we can ask that people think, people think they, Americans are lazy and they don't want to go out and work. Yeah, they do. You just have to give them the opportunity to do it. And we're standing in the way of that right here in Washington. And I, I really think it's time for the, uh, the grown-ups to step forward. And the grown-ups here in the country to elect people that are going to be that person that really want to, want to take charge of it. Because I think all of us, all of us agree, we still have control of our situation. But we're at the point where it's going to be another country, it's going to be the bond markets at some point here in the near future are going to control us, and we're going to have no say. That is the uh, that is the really scary reality. That is, I'm the tipping point right here in November. 
We all have the ability to control that and to truly move this country forward. Because I'll leave you with this. Because that country that my father and grandfather worked for and gave me, they bettered it. I can't say that when I turn this one over to my children as we sit here right now. I think that's what we really have to, we really have to focus on. And it is about being adults and making those hard decisions. Again, I thank you all and uh, give it back to Duffy to open the mic.